listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 140 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Who said the Big Ten was bad at football? Just the wrong football. Thomas is here. We're going to celebrate a national championship in God's sport. Football school, Matt. Football school. As soon as Mike Loxley showed up, football school. We've always been a football school. Maryland was a football school when uh, Ralph Regan was the head coach. Yep. Da-dun-dun. Yes, let's spend the next 30 minutes talking about soccer and how great it is. Okay, maybe not 30 minutes, but close enough. Yeah, yeah. Soccer Soccer is good now. It was always good. I never got angry at Maryland soccer is the way I get angry at a lot of other soccer things. Yeah, I feel like it's it's a little it's a little hard, I guess, to get mad at college soccer teams. It is almost impossible, especially when your program has won two national championships and is one of the best in the country anyway. But college soccer is so fickle, especially now. And which makes this national championship for Maryland even I wouldn't say weirder, but it makes it feel like it's kind of out of place because, as we have mentioned before on this show, Maryland's had better teams that have not won, and this was a team that started 4-5-3, and and in early parts of the year, they couldn't score to save their lives. And then all they do is go run the table in the NCAA tournament and not give up a goal and have some of the best defending that I've seen in a long time at any level of soccer. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the angle that I've – you know, been putting on this is Maryland turned a down year into a national championship. Um, and it was very much that it was a down year because they graduated their top three scorers from a team that was undefeated until it lost six straight matches. And a couple of years then ago, players left with eligibility remaining regular season and big 10 tournament and then lost to Providence mm-hmm. and gave up. Yeah. They goals. entered the NCAA tournament 18, and two, I believe that year. And then blew a four to one lead. Yeah. And then the next year they just fizzled out and never got it going again. And you know the thing that Sasha Sarovsky has said throughout this is that you know it's harder to coach young men when they're winning. He says, which you know the those two Maryland teams just didn't win, even though they weren't perfect or though they did win. They won they a lot. Lose. But they didn't win. Yeah, they won matter. a lot, and so it. You know, but even then they were still a little flawed and there was not that sense of urgency to work on those flaws because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But this year's Maryland team, this year, this year's Maryland team did need fixing. It, it didn't score a goal for the first. It was 0-2-2. It was 4-5-3 and three against a really tough schedule. Um, and you know, they, they all said, like, if we can get – as long as we get over 500, that schedule will be eligible and in the tournament. Um, and they did that, and they got, you know, a little extra cushion. They got a national seed out of it. And then they just – they beat everyone, which is kind of how you win championships. But, um, you know, they, they were even more convincing and dominating down the stretch, especially in Santa Barbara, than I thought they really could have even been. I mean, that Indiana game was actually very interesting because Indiana's really good, and they did Zippo. It, it is as good defending as I'm going to see in soccer, probably for a long time. 
it, it takes a lot to defend like that, and to defend like that is incredibly impressive. And once they got against Akron, Akron did also less than nothing. And they had just scored five against Michigan State the game before, so they could score, obviously. And Maryland just shut them down. If you get your tactics right, it's hard to beat a team that gets its tactics right. And Maryland got its tactics right. And they forced Akron into making one mistake that ended up killing them. There were others. I'm Arsadich, if you're listening to this, don't do a stutter step run-up penalty. They never work. You hit another penalty perfectly fine right before. You didn't need to do that again. The red card was also a little bit silly, but that's, that's an MLS ref, so I can make fun of them too on this podcast. How wonderful is that? Never done that on this show, but I will now. And it is amazing, as you say, to see a team that was not very good just pick up the pace and then get hot when it matters most. In most levels of soccer, that is not possible. You can't do that. But in MLS, you can. And in college soccer, because of the nature of the tournament, you can do that as well. And Maryland, I mean, they played Indiana pretty well, lost in penalties. And they knew they had something. And they had a lot more than something. Once you're organized, if you're organized, it's going to be hard to beat you because all you need is one goal. And then you can just put the clamps down. And that's what Maryland did. I, we will have a chance perhaps to ask Sasha Swarovski this. Stay tuned for the next show for that. But I wonder if he'll say this is his best coaching job. Because it certainly seems like it's one of his better coaching jobs. And he's coached some great teams, some great players. But this team, not an incredibly talented group based on Maryland standards. Not the best of goal scorers. Good defensively. But in that way, to get over all the teams they had to get over just to get here, I would think it's one of his better coaching jobs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially to to make those changes midseason and to have the the guts to schedule the way he did, knowing that he wasn't going to have, you know, this super talented team. Um, you know, they went on a spring break trip and they got a little bit familiar with themselves, but there were still kind of some moving pieces. The, you know, the scoreless streak at the start of the year, they really only Maryland really only got dominated once, and that was in the opener at Washington. In the other games, there were some scoreless draws. There were, you know, a few one nothings, but they just didn't look good. And they they started to look better. Um, they went at Indiana, who was then I believe number four in the country, really hung with them, and then lost with 18 seconds left in regulation. Um, that that's what dropped them before five and three, and I think. After that, Sasha said, you know, there are no moral victories. We're going to have to start winning some of these games. And their very next match, um, Denver, who was number seven in the country at the time, I think, had the best goal scorer in the country. And Maryland beat them one nothing. And, I mean, Maryland finished the season 9-1-1, which there's no questioning that. That's dominance. Even if it's dominance in a very Tony Pulisist way, I'm sorry if you were listening to this and you don't get that reference, look it up if you don't, but uh, it is really, really hard to defend like that as long as they did. To give up no goals like that in tournament setting, in a sport where mistakes are going to be made, and if you make one mistake, it's going to cost you, that is it's incredibly hard to do. And that team has got a lot of good players on it, not the best of players that I've ever seen play Maryland soccer, but... If you could get get it going at the right time, and they did, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to watch them win. And also, have to give credit to the ESPN camera operators who was watching the game on Friday, and you'd see the crowd shots of the Maryland fans, and there's Damon Evans 
in the crowd looking like a fan. The announcers did not point this out, but I noticed it was Damon Evans. And the first thought in my head was, this is another Maryland fan saying something not nice about Damon Evans. This is a national championship he cannot take credit for. This is all Sasho. It's basically furthering my theory that the best Maryland programs are the ones that the athletic department has almost next to nothing to do with. I just love the idea that David Evans is sitting there basically as a fan watching as everybody else is watching, hoping Maryland wins when he realizes, I get to put this on my resume even though I don't have much to do with what Sasha is doing here. I mean, that's isn't that kind of just the nature of being an athletic director? I mean, it is, like, but I mean... It's they don't, they don't coach any of the teams. Point. Unless they hired the coach, you know, you really can only take so much credit, but Maryland did win under him. Well, so Sasha he gets to pretend that that's... How many athletic directors at Maryland? I actually don't know the number, but it's multiple. Yes. So, I mean, as I said before, Maryland's best programs are the ones that's basically controlled by the coaches, Brenda Freeze, Kathy Reese, John Tillman, etc., etc., and... Sasha is one of them, and again, David Evans in the crowd looking like a fan and not having the announcers point out, that's the athletic director who's just probably had the worst summer, or his Ennis Horribilis, actually, if you want to call it. It was actually kind of really ironic just to look at that, so that made me laugh. But in terms of just anything else on this, I mean, it's a great national championship. It's hard to win in college soccer, especially now. You're not just competing against other schools for recruits. You're competing against getting these players to not go pro, getting these players to not go to European uh, clubs and signing up for their academies. It's hard to win now in college soccer. It's hard to be consistent in college soccer, and Maryland did it, and that was really exciting, especially for this team, which was not one of Maryland's better teams in recent years, and they still won. Maybe you could argue the path cleared for them, but they still beat teams three, they beat team six, and they beat team two to win. So... You can't really blame anything on that. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't say the path cleared for them. I mean, they had to win two true road games against top six teams. And then they had, you know, to beat Indiana, who a lot of people thought was the best team in the country. They really had to win a lot of tough games. And as much as we're saying maybe that's not Maryland's, you know, best team, it, the defense, that is a championship defense. And it wasn't always that. It wasn't, it was good, but not great at the start of the year, but it turned. It became great. They made some tactical adjustments. Players got better. Players got better chemistry. Dane St. Clair in goal took his game up at least like three or four levels uh, throughout the season, it seemed like. It is much um, easier to work on defensive tactics than it is going forward. That's another thing that you will learn in soccer if you've watched it for a long time. That's why many bad teams lose a lot of games 1-0 or they play nil-nil horrible draws. And Maryland was able to get the goals they needed to win but when you're that solid defensively, you can't break them down. And Maryland was like that. One little thing on this before we move on to other sports. It's kind of funny. I'm watching Maryland play Akron. And the first game that I think I did for WMUC Sports all the way back in 2015 was Maryland-Akron. Dane St. Clair was in that game. He was a freshman. Sadich was in that game. He was a freshman. Elney was a freshman. That was after that crazy UCLA goal that he scored back in 2015. So it was like that was a little uh, coming full circle moment for me ironically though it may be but it's so happy to see that we will try to have Sasha on the show next week to talk about this because it was the first good Maryland sports thing that's happened in quite a long time and he even talked about how you know he wanted to help the Maryland community just kind of be lifted up a bit because everybody's been down all fall and for obvious reasons and then now as soccer just started to pick it up at the right time and everybody went wow this team was good and then they went a national championship and you saw the party when they came back. That was a, 
a good little relief of tension, I think, for everybody involved with Maryland athletics for at least a little bit. Yeah, I was, by the way, very pleasantly surprised at how solid the crowd was at an event. It was, you know, they announced that they'd be coming back at 7.45, and I ended up being, you know, forced to cover it. So I show up at 7.45. The team, yeah, no one else was around. No one, else, no one was back yet. It was, it was cold. It's cold. Oh, no. <laughs> you get to celebrate a national championship. I don't get to celebrate. I'm working. Thomas, you go to Maryland. <laughs> It was. It, it ended up being fun, but they came back at you know eight oh five, and for for as cold as it was, and as much of the event that was just kind of standing around for a lot of people, I was I was really pleased to see just how many students, you know, I'm felt sure like how important Maryland soccer is. It's actually yeah. I mean, well a lot of a lot of kids really this meant something to them. Other because than a lot of kids who are coming into school now are more soccer mm-hmm. fans than even when you and I both started. And so to have a national championship winning soccer program is a very interesting thing to have. And not many kids who could go to any school like this could say, hey, I, we go to a school that has one of these great soccer programs that we could latch on to. Yeah, I mean, and, and a coach who embraces and it has like helped promote his own team in the way that Sasho has, who embraces the fans, embraces the crew, and has really done a lot to help it grow. And... Not a lot for U.S. soccer when you think about it, but I'll, I'll spend the time talking with him about that. I've done that before, but I could do it again uh, when we get a chance to talk to him, and I'm really excited to do that because I loved covering that team. I loved watching that team, and I'm so happy that they won the national championship. They deserve it. <laughs> if there's any program on campus that deserves the love that they get, it's that, it's that soccer team, and I, I'm so happy for them. And I think happy for all of us to be able to celebrate a national championship in a sport that, listen, more – Schools play soccer than they do lacrosse. For Maryland, it's a big deal to win in lacrosse, but not so much outside. And, hey, they have 30-plus Big Ten championships since they moved to the conference. And they have four national championships since they moved to the conference. And Purdue has four, and they were a founding member of the Big Ten in 1896. Thank you, Dave Tucker, for that note. That made me laugh. More Big Ten championships for this school than some other school that will not be mentioned, but still somehow gets mentioned in every podcast. Maybe I should add a slide whistle effect in this bit. Anyway, let's move on to football now, which everyone plays and Maryland's normally not very good at, but there's a lot of optimism about Maryland football. Isn't there usually every time there's a new coaching hire, but maybe for this one it's a little bit different. Uh, by the way, can you talk about that speech at uh, the basketball game last night? I didn't see it, but that was a not very full arena, and he got a standing ovation. Yeah, so I mean the the speech itself was kind of just the short version of the press conference at Coldfield House from the from a week earlier. Um, I mean, you can just tell that this really does mean a lot to Mike Loxley that he has this job. There is there's only one person in the whole of college football whose dream job is coaching Maryland, and Maryland just gave the job to that guy. Yeah, I mean, and then. You know the 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 hires he's made, and he's he's flipped one blue chip recruit who's already the best player in Maryland's class. The level of optimism. I mean, you should always be optimistic when you hire a new coach because if if you're not, you know, what are you doing with rooting for a you, college for football Maryland. team? Yeah, like, but for Maryland to to be where it's been, you know, there's just there was just all this uncertainty. Um, it, it's it's different from when Durkin came in because when Durkin came in, you know, it was bare, it was a complete like we're starting something over. Um, 
with there Loxley, there is too. there was optimism then, but it was you know we're starting over, where you know it's going to take a while to build something. With Loxley, it feels like something can build pretty quick if he does it right, and it looks like early indications are he's doing it right so far. So let's and talk that's, about some of these coaches hirings while we're at it because. He's made a couple of them and a couple big All of which, by the way, are like reported, not completely final, but it would take a very incredible plot twist for all of these not to happen. I will say that right now. I want to talk first about hiring DeMatha's coach as the running backs coach because that's fascinating to me. Now, it's not like Maryland's running backs were bad. They were all really good. And Maryland already has a couple of good DeMatha running backs in their backfield already. This is not a move that's done just for, hey, we hired DeMatha's coach and this is great for recruiting. It's also... If anybody knows some of these running backs really well, it's DeMatha's coach who coached them in high school. Yeah, and who was a very good running back himself, both at DeMatha and at William & Mary. Um, You know, Brooks has been kind of rumored to be leaning toward college for a while. Um, And this this was the chance that he really jumped at. And, you know, obviously that the chance to coach McFarland and coach Harrison um that that in particular is going to be really big for I think him and both of those guys um if there was any worry about Anthony McFarland leaving this uh offseason I don't think I have that worry anymore (laughs) yeah I mean I personally never felt like that was a real concern because he struck me as a guy who had built himself up in a spot where even if he didn't like it here, he was probably only going to be here one more year anyway and then go to the NFL. This is true, but, but then again, we root and follow Maryland. Anything that could go wrong often does. This this is true. Um, so, But even then, now you, you're coaching a, a running back group that's got three DeMatha running backs in it. And here's the thing. is, So a lot of people are like, you know, I don't think a lot of people have, have realized the, the distinction between if you hire someone uh, for an, an analyst role that's when you can't recruit from the high school. That was a rule that they put in a few years ago because Jim Harbaugh was hiring like high school head coaches as just, a, you know, off field assistants and then getting five star prospects from those high schools. Um, but when it's an on field coach, you can get whoever and it will help dramatically with recruiting. And also, I think Brooks is a well established, very good football coach. So he's, he's, he's a, he seems like a home run hire. And then Butch Jones. I have to just make a joke about Butch Jones because we have to. There's no reason not to. But let's get let's get our jokes out now because he is overqualified for the job, and I think he it's is, a fine hire. He is, and Tennessee's still going to be paying most of his salary. But okay, how many champions of life jokes do you think we can make in the next two minutes? So I mean, for me, the thing is like when Maryland's tight ends catch a football, do they have to dunk it and trash can? I would love them to do that because it wouldn't happen very often. It's only happened maybe like four times in the last three years. All right. So Chigozium Okonkwo is a legitimate pass catcher. Nobody at Maryland caught passes this year, just like overall. But he's a legit pass catcher. And in the right offense, he'll he'll be a weapon. So So we'll we'll see. He might have 10 catches next year. Maybe even 12. Maybe even 12. (laughs) That's a lot of dunking in trash cans. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for that too. So, yeah, I mean, if you can't be champions of the Big Ten or the Big Ten East, you can always be champions of life. This is true. And Maryland if you can't be champions of men's soccer, you can, be you can always be of champions of life. You know, Maryland hasn't been champions of a lot of things in recent times, 
and now they'll be the champions of life, at the very least. And that's always good. And that's at least a positive that I can say if Maryland can't win a championship in football ever, which is, even with Mike Loxley, still probably true. Regardless of this, more coaches that have been hired, and these are interesting, of course, for the Terps, particularly because we talked about one of the positions, which was Abzaru um, Dorahim with defensive back. So they've hired Corey Robinson, who was another coach from this area. He was a coach at Rutgers. Yeah, we got to mention them again. But this, even still, it's like it's not a bad hire because it's still somebody who knows the area pretty well, and obviously somebody that knows Mike Loxley pretty well. Yeah, so I've heard a few. I've heard kind of conflicting things on a couple of assistants, uh, Abdul Rahim and Chris Beatty, the wide receivers coach. I've heard a lot of just conflicting things the last few days about whether or not they're staying or going. Um, even hiring Robinson does not necessarily mean Abdul Rahim is out. Um, he could, because Maryland last year had a defensive backs coach and a safeties coach, and so it's it's possible that maybe. Abdul Rahim moves to safeties and gets an assistant defensive coordinator title or something something like that. Um, I don't really know what Loxley's plan is. He's been very quiet about it, and Maryland's assistants haven't really leaked anything. Um, that's why really only four hires have been reported so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Loxley's definitely been in contact with a lot more people than we know. I put up I put up a full board that was, you know, here are some names that make sense. All of them have some promise to them, but we'll see. I'm looking at your uh, tracking the assistant coaches piece, which is a very good place to go if you're looking for who is in. Which, by the way, 10 minutes after I posted that, Brooks got hired and I had to change it immediately. That is always what happens when you do this, Thomas. I'm sure you're aware of this by now, but yeah, uh, one more head coach. It is John Papuchis, who is also, I believe, the special teams coordinator. He was this in North Carolina, and he's coached. So he was he was defensive coordinator. He was defensive coordinator at Carolina. He was previously special teams coach at Nebraska. Oh, okay. Um, he was also Nebraska's recruiting coordinator, so he's got a, a really impressive recruiting pedigree as well. Um, you know, he he looks like a really promising hire himself. It's just interesting you see linebackers and special teams. Well, that's what Matt Barnes was for Maryland. It is true. I still just find that to be odd, but whatever the case may be. Yeah, special teams, you know, you kind of see a lot of stuff. I mean, when Pete Lembo was Maryland's special teams coach, he was also the tight ends coach. That at least makes mildly more sense, but... Well, I think with linebackers, like, Maryland's had a lot of linebackers on its coverage units because... Or at least, yeah, it's it's coverage units for, for tackling purposes. Mm, well, I guess it kind of makes sense when you think about it. It just still seems odd to me. So those are the only ones that we have any sort of intel on. We're still waiting on the big ones, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Still quite some time before we see that. Is there any other news on those names, or are we still kind of waiting for more news to come out and might take another week or two? Yeah, so it's interesting with Loxley uh, kind of returning to Bama to start focusing on prepping for the playoff. Um, he'll do that Thursday for practice Friday. And so, you know, it, it'll, it's unclear how many coaching hires get reported within the next couple of days. Um, and obviously he'll continue to, it's not like he'll stop doing, you know, Maryland staff building and class building, but he'll, 
try and split his time. Um, I know somebody mentioned that it's not a bad thing to have future Maryland head coach Mike Loxley on the sidelines at the Orange Bowl and the college football playoff semifinal, but it's a lot of work. You're building up Maryland's class and staff from nothing. So whatever the case may be. It is. I mean, so so just as far as, as the other positions, I mean, the only position that I've heard a lot about like people being reached out to as offensive coordinator. Uh, the name that I think I mentioned this at this time on the podcast last week was Josh Gaddis. He's been reported and then he's been kind of reported out. Um, it depends on kind of whether Nick Saban makes a play to keep him or he's in the running for the Appalachian state head coaching job. Um, Nick Saban doesn't seem to be, it, it seems like Saban has promoted someone else to offensive coordinator to replace Loxley. But even then, if he tries to make a run at Gaddis, just up his pay and try and keep him around, you know, he probably doesn't become Maryland's OC. In which case, uh, T. Martin's name has been pretty big lately. I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know how close to done that might be if it's if he is indeed the favorite. Um, well, I mean, he's... USC had a billion quarterback injuries last year. So I guess yeah, I mean, he's also a fantastic recruit. I mean, he was one of the top recruiters in the country while at USC. Now, naturally, USC does come with some extra advantages, but he is he is well-liked by a lot of people. Mike Loxley could build a staff. He can also flip recruits. Isaiah Hazel comes in four-star, was committed to West Virginia. He's already, I think, the best player in Maryland's very tiny 2019 recruiting class, and that's just Mike Loxley's presence. This is why you hire him, and this is on a small scale why you hire him, and there are going to be many more names like this coming out pretty soon. And since Maryland's not really not going to get a ton more receivers in this class, Hazel's got a chance to step in next year along with all the sophomores that are going to be there to create, again, young, really good receiving core. They already have a lot of good players at skill positions. That's going to be the most fun part about next year's team, obviously, is all the skill position players that they have. Yeah, I mean, the, the question marks are kind of on the lines, and... You know, both offensive and defensive, a lot of a lot, a lot of seniors on those two spots. So it'll be interesting to see um, who comes in maybe as a transfer or who he's able to flip in the next few weeks. Can I make one comment on one rumor that we saw that happened right after Loxley's hiring was announced, which was the Jalen Hurts thing? I mean, I don't think it's ever reasonably going to happen, but the idea that that was a rumor to begin with was just still fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every school that doesn't have a surefire starting quarterback for 2019 is going to be thrown into the Jalen Hurts stuff. And getting Loxley, who was Bama's OC, it, it just makes those those rumors very reasonable. I don't think he's ever really, based on the comments he said he talked with Tyro Pigger and Kasim Hill, I don't think he's that desperate to get Jalen Hurts. It's not like Maryland's going in with no quarterbacks. I mean, they might all be injured, but it's not like they're going in with nothing. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it's ever reasonable or realistic to expect that to happen. I mean, if Jalen Hurts comes, I think he starts. Well, but... obviously, but that's if he comes in the rare scenario in which Maryland has something good happen. Yeah. I just can't see it, we're, we're We're a little too far away to get excited about that. This is true, and I bet a lot of coaches who did not get Kelly Bryant are going to be really interested in Jalen Hurts. So we shall find out about that. And did you read anything into the comments of Mike Loxley talking to the quarterbacks? 
I didn't read much into it. I had I had read somewhere that Pigram was actually considering transferring, but um, with Loxley, that was you know as, as soon as Loxley was hired, it didn't see, it seemed like no, he he wouldn't. I personally never expected him to because Hill is almost certain to miss at least the start of next year because um, he tore his ACL so late in the season. How and, nine months between the Indiana game and then Howard. So, yeah, I, I think Tyrone Pigram's probably not transferring knowing that the starting job's probably his, barring something like Jalen Hurts happening. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and plus Pigram's already redshirted a year. Uh, if it's an FCS transfer, he would – or if it's an FBS transfer, he I think he would still have to sit out a year, and then he would only have one year left. Yeah, so it would make a ton of sense. Intense. Yeah, so I, I mean, I didn't read too much into it. A lot of that was kind of just talking shop, basically. Yeah. So the only other news we've had on Loxley, although we do have other football news, which is Maryland Penn State's going to be on a Friday night. Are you excited for that, Thomas? I mean, you're not going to be covering it. Presumably, you'll be watching it. Yeah, presumably, which I don't really know what my Friday nights are going to be looking like this, this fall. Neither do next, I. Next fall. Yeah, uh, so we'll see. Better? We'll see. But if, I don't have, if I'm not doing anything, I'll watch. Have some uh, fun. I'm pretty sure you'll watch anyway. <laughs> you'll 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 find a way to do that. But it, it's interesting because I don't like the Friday night games. Maryland had one scheduled for last year against Northwestern, then it got moved when everybody in the Big Ten threw up a stink because we don't like Friday night games. I can understand why. But you're playing Penn State. The game's going to get more eyeballs than it would have otherwise. You're probably going to get more fan interest than it would have otherwise because it's the first primetime game Maryland in four years and it's Penn State, and it's coming off a bye week, and if there's any way for Mike Lockley to announce himself as Maryland's head football coach, it would be to win that game. And I don't know a lot about what Penn State's bringing back next year, but they don't have Trace McSorley, and that's not a bad thing. So I think in many ways it's actually set up pretty nicely for Maryland if they could get a nice entry into the season against Howard. Syracuse will be difficult. Temple's got a new coach, and then a bye week. And then if you beat Penn State, everybody's on the bandwagon once that happens. So actually – the Friday night game might work out pretty well for Maryland in this case. I mean, maybe. I mean, they could also <laughs> lose by 50. This is a thing that could happen, but it don't. But, I mean, I, I can understand why Maryland's probably like, okay, yeah, we can, we can let that fly. Yeah. It's, it is, it's, you're not going to Ohio State and Michigan to do that, but you could probably get Maryland to pull it off. And so there's the possibility that that's interesting next year. But I think that's all the football moves we have to get to. Unless that's all for now recording that's all for now but make sure uh next week when we do another podcast we will talk about all about the early signing day and and building a coaching staff because there will be presumably a lot more news when that is to come available and this is the beginning of it not the end if maryland's getting already one four star from the area to flip there might be more in the offing and it seems pretty obvious that they're more in the offing though we don't know too many about the names at this point let's shift focus the basketball's been a while since we've talked about basketball since our last podcast was Mike Loxley focused. We've had four games since then. And uh, what are the themes from those games for you, Thomas? So four games. So Penn State, Purdue, Loyola, Chicago, Loyola, Maryland. So, I mean, really the one thing that, like, I think a lot of fans are going to remember is the complete and total lack of offense down the stretch in the Purdue game, which is probably not fair to anybody. But, like, I think that's that's what a lot of people are going to remember. Um, Maryland in general played pretty well against Penn State and against there were some stretches Loyola Maryland State where they were not great. Yeah, they they were kind of up and down. Um, that game was much closer than it should have been towards the end. Yeah, I mean they didn't play great. They didn't shoot well. 
they did other things well. Cowan shot well at the very end. Well, Turned that's, what that's was a portion of the game into. Like, I love the nothing's happening on offense until Anthony Cowan hits a prayer. In three years ago, that was nothing happens on offense until Melo Trimble hits a prayer. Yeah, but then the offense against Purdue turned into Cowan's not hitting those prayers. And we're like, they just kind of stopped moving the ball. And this is like the worst version of Maryland under Mark Turgeon has been that. Um, and that's that's been a that version of Maryland has made a constant guest guest appearance over Especially the last few years. Key moments in big games. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, when other teams really, you know, they clamp down defensively, they take a lot of things away or they make a lot of things difficult. You know, it's not always that easy, but, you know, other teams are able to do it. And to have the lack of ball movement that they had is discouraging, especially when, you know, you're not hitting those prayers. And that was a game, unlike in recent times when Maryland's offense would look pretty terrible in some of these big games, that was a game they should have won. That, yeah, which, that which was weird because... Up until about maybe five minutes to go. I mean, Purdue had the lead, but Maryland was playing pretty well throughout that game until the end when they forgot how to run offense. Because like, if you had told If they had won that game, it would have been a great road win, right? And we would have talked about how great they executed. Well, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well from the outside, but how great they executed in the first half. And at the start of the second half, how well they were playing in many respects. And then we're only going to think about that. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the nature of a two point basketball game. Like if if Maryland hits that, you know, hits one prayer down the stretch and wins that game, I feel like we might forget about you know the the stagnant offense for five ten minutes. Um, they had multiple chances too to win that game. Yeah, yeah. Purdue is still really high on Ken Palm, but I wasn't They've super now impressed. Lost, what four games already? Now a lot of it's on the road. A lot of it's to really good teams, but that's when Maryland's going to kick itself later in the year. That's like, how did we lose that? Like, cause you could imagine them playing that game in February and not losing that if they run an offense better, or, you know, if they run two offensive possessions better, they, maybe they caught it at the wrong time, but that's one of those games where they're going to kick themselves. And it also, it just reinforces the bad notions that we have about Maryland. They can't run offense when it matters and they can't win on the road. And these are things that they're going to have to get rid of themselves and they'll have multiple chances to do it. But that was a winnable game. And the difference between 2-0 and and 1-1 and early in the Big Ten is not huge. But considering that everybody in the conference is basically on that fringe, you know, that one loss could end up being critical come, come seeding time and come later in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think five different Big Ten teams started 2-0. and um, And now there's four at 1-1 and and five at 0-2. Just kind of, like it, it played out interesting. Both of their games barely, you know, like Penn State. Yeah, I mean, there is not, barely, there will but. be a lot of close conference games. And both of Maryland's, you know, first two conference games have been pretty close. And they won the one at home with a couple big shots. And then they lost the one on the road where the offense stopped working. It turned into this clogged toilet. I and so. That metaphor, but okay. I've I've been using the clogged toilet offense reference for years. I think Bill Simmons is the guy who came up with it. Um, he said it often in reference to Scott Brooks. Well, who, that makes sense considering where you are. Yeah. Well, no, this is when Brooks coached the Thunder and it was well, Westbrook doing what Cowan's now. doing. Yeah. Randy well, Whitman ran the same offense. Fair to, I don't think it's fair to talk about Maryland basketball solely because of that Purdue game. Although the no, Loyola like Maryland has done a lot of other things well. 
of the like, game was rough. That that everything about that just felt off. Like the that arena is old and small and not great. It has a stage um, at one end. Yeah, and they were having some sort of weird party and they were playing up Baltimore and it was everyone was super excited for them to be in Baltimore, but also no one was there. It was it was just a weird game and neither team shot well at all. Loyola Chicago, my God. And here's the thing, is there's still a pretty good Missouri Valley team who you know, they they're definitely not an at large level team this year, but I don't know I don't know if they even were last year. But I mean last year they were an eleven seed. Now this year we're gonna have some pretty good mid majors. I mean, if you even throw out Nevada who's gonna and Gonzaga, you know, we're talking Furman's ranked, Buffalo's ranked. We're gonna have some good mid majors this year. And Loyola just kind of feels like I got lost in the shuffle. And again, you could get hot at the right time, of course. But yeah, I mean, Loyola was one of the better mid majors last year. Yeah, they were. They 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 deserved everything they had. And you have to give Maryland credit for scheduling them because no one else was going to. And yeah, they played it in Baltimore, which is more of a neutral site game than having them come to College Park, even though it's still a home game. But I wasn't expecting that game. That was, whew. I thought yeah, sometimes was, uh, there was offense run in Army Navy that looked better. You're you're not wrong. It was it was a rough. Now you could also say Maryland played really well defensively, which they did. And when they started to hit shots at the end, they pulled away. But yeah, that wasn't a good look for either team. No, not really. Uh, Maryland improved a lot of things offensively against Loyola Maryland. Which, by the way, big shame they couldn't get Loyola Marymount on the schedule. Uh, that's just the wrong side of the country, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's rough. But if you can bring Loyola Chicago over, you're going to play Loyola Maryland. I you personally feel like try. it would be you worth a shot. Try. It would be worth a shot. Maybe they did. I'll I'll have to ask they Mark Kirsten about it. They actually haven't been too bad this year, Loyola Marymount. No, they were uh, number ten in the net rankings at one point. This is all oh, those horrible net rankings that are just completely wasteless and garbage. I mean, I mean, here's the thing: is those are going to look real by the end of the year. Those I know, look... but it's still something we have to make fun of now. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand releasing them in November. It's like releasing the top four seeds in the each region in February. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you do it, but whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I do want to say, like, Maryland did have some things in that Loyola-Chicago game that were interesting when Fernando and Smith got into foul trouble early and they ran some offense without them. They didn't look that bad. And we always wondered, like, what's going to happen when those two get into foul trouble, which is inevitable it's going to happen. And they looked pretty good without them. And then when they had them, obviously, against overmatched Loyola-Maryland, they looked really good. So I think this team might be start to de- starting to develop a little bit of versatility, starting to develop a few new more ways to play that it's helpful to have now because you don't have many more games in which you can do that. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing for, for me with Maryland has always been getting those 7th, 8th, ninth guys, you know, as a legitimate part of the rotation. And... it's been clear for a while now that those seventh and eighth guys are the two other freshmen who kind of came in late, Sorrell Smith and Ricky Lindo. Lindo played like 24 minutes against Loyola Chicago because Fernando and Smith were both in foul trouble. Um, And Smith was in foul trouble like the whole second half as well. And so Lindo played a lot. He didn't, I think he only scored two points, but him and Joshua Tamayich, and even Bender all had like really good games defensively. And you didn't see Tamayich and Bender against Loyola Maryland. No, I mean that team was even smaller. 
and with with Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando both playing well, you don't need the backup bigs necessarily. I thought you were going to mention the seventh, eighth, and ninth guy being Reese Mona. I, I I'm not really sure what uh, other than maybe you know Daryl Morcel being out and Reese Mona is the next backup guard after Sorrell Smith, which makes sense. Um, there's only 11 you know scholarship guys, of, and I think this might be. Maybe a bad comparison, but the way Mark Turgeon talks about him, he reminds me of Varun Ram. I think a lot of people have talked about him that way because he, oh. he comes in in kind of the same situations where he's a bit of a defense first guy. Well, um, I think Ram his offensive ceiling, tournament game. So, yeah, his offensive ceiling is a lot higher than Varun Ram's. I think. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of people have definitely talked about those two guys here because of that. Yeah, but anyway, I think that. Most Maryland fans, if you told them 9-2 and two with losses to Virginia and Purdue after the first 11 games, most of them would not really complain. I mean, they will because this is Maryland. But overall— Well, it's when, you watch, it's when you watch them lose and you're like, oh, if they had only done this better, you know, they could have won that game because both losses were close. Both and, losses were definitely close. This is true. And the Purdue game, you know, the way it played oh, out, Purdue they probably should have won. won it. Purdue, they should have won. And so, I mean, that's just the thing is when— you know, you probably would have taken it at the start of the year, but when you watch it, you think, oh, yeah, this team is, has the chance to be even better. That and always happens. Depending on, how you, depending on how down you are on Mark Turgeon will affect what you think the ceiling for this team actually is. And I forward. think a lot of people are very down on Mark Turgeon. Every single comment you read, anyway. I've gone on about this too much, and it happens. But now we've got two more uh, out-of-conference games. Seton Hall, which will be interesting because they did just beat Kentucky. That game was bonkers. Absolutely that was what, insane. Former future Terp Kelvin Johnson with the half-court shot. Former future Terp Kelvin Johnson, you are correct. Half-court prayer at the buzzer, called by Gus Johnson with round ball rock. It makes no sense. That makes no sense, but let's not get into that. Uh, Seton Hall's not a bad team. They're an NCAA tournament team. I don't know where they fit really in into the Big East this year, but that's at least going to be a very difficult— So the Big East is wide open. Seton Hall kind of lost a lot of guys. Um they lost Kideon Carrington. They lost Angel Delgado Villanova from those. Penn. <laughs> that yeah, I mean the whole last night and was the Big East. The Big East is very wide open with Best Villanova taking a, a severe step back. I mean, it's probably you know kind of like Kansas in the Big Twelve. Like even when you think they're down, they'll probably figure it out over the course of January and February. This is true, but, but for Maryland's case, Seton Hall still a pretty good team to yes. No, Seton Hall, that's a, that's a good that is a good non-conference game. It'll be interesting to see just like if anything looks drastically different after eleven days off. Um, and then Radford's a team that looks a lot better now than they did at the start of the year with road wins at Texas, and I think they beat a couple other teams. They went on Notre Dame. Yep. Now, that game will also be taking place during the college football playoff semifinal, Clemson and Notre Dame. So, I'm sorry about that, everybody. You'll have to divert your attention. But whatever the case may be, these are actually not bad out-of-conference games. And their first three Big Ten games, when they come back into play, are home against Nebraska. That's not a terrible game. Nebraska might be pretty good, but you get them at home. And then at Rutgers and at Minnesota. Pretty soft landing when you talk about entering Big Ten play. For real? As far as as far as this year's Big Ten, where there are very few you bad know, teams, there there are, well there are really no bad teams. Like even Rutgers went to Miami and beat them. 
They did lose and, and Rutgers gave both Michigan State and Wisconsin a game. No, Rutgers is going to be hard to beat at the rack. Do not think that that game's a walkover. They're going to be difficult to beat at the rack. I've been to that gym. If Rutgers is suffocating you defensively, it's going to be difficult. Uh, Minnesota's not terrible either. I think they were ranked at one point. And uh, Nebraska was not also year. ranked at one point. I thought Nebra- oh, Nebraska, Nebraska was I think, has been ranked this year. They might be ranked now. Nebraska's legit good. But getting them at home helps Maryland because they always yes. play better at home. And I think that it'll definitely be interesting to see how they play in those games. If they go 5-0 and in those games, that's, again, most people would say you expect them to go 5-0 and in those games, but that wouldn't be any gimmies in those games. So that would be a pretty decent turn for Maryland before they start to actually get into really difficult stuff. Then they start playing the teams like Indiana's and Michigan State's and Wisconsin's and like where you're going to have a lot more difficult tests to come. Yeah. Do we have to talk about Kelly Clarkson, Mom? Sure. I mean, that that was the highlight for me, unless you really, really wanted to see Mike Loxley. That was the highlight. I thought they were going to break out the soccer team. Yeah, I mean, I think the soccer team with the, the welcome home thing, and it was reading day, some of them had finals. I think they just decided, you know, maybe not bring the soccer team just yet. Like, they, they've uh, they've gone kind of all over the place. I think they honored, like, the lacrosse, one of the lacrosse championship teams, like during basketball season. Well, because so, like, they, they, they can wait during football season. Yeah, they can wait. I think they people can, will yeah. people will cheer the soccer team whenever they can. I think also maybe they want to do it when the building's more full. That's also reasonable. So yeah, Kelly Clarkson, mom. Uh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, personally, like, I feel, I feel bad for the kid. Like, the kid just kind of, he was overwhelmed by the moment. You know, he, he played it up. Apparently, the Washington Post actually interviewed the mom, and I, they didn't interview the kid, but they, well, the they talked to the mom. Embarrassed. Well, they talked to the mom, and she said, like, the kid has kind of had a good sense of humor about it since. Like, you know, he's he knows that the whole thing went viral, and he's like, oh, how are they doing now? Um, cause ESPN tweeted it out, like Maryland athletics have tweeted it out. It, it's, it's gone, you know, kind of viral and I'm, I'm glad to see everyone is, you know, at least has a sense of humor about it or really enjoyed it. This is, this is a thing that happens and be honest, you would all be in the same position if it was your mother doing that. It really depends. I mean, like, I'm not sure whether or not. Like, I don't know enough of the words to that song that I would be able to karaoke it and play along. But, I don't know. The, the two the two roads you can do are, as a kid is try to retreat and get yourself off the video board or sing along. I think what I would have done has been like, this is happening and I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, would you just go, like, stone-faced? Like, just kind of look straight would, at the video board? I would board? probably say, and I know my mother's never going to listen to these shows, even though she knows I does, she does them. I'd be like, she's done far more embarrassing things. This is nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's a minute. I mean, it depends on how much you weigh, you know, the, the level, of, you know, the audience. Well, here's the other thing. I, my mother would never go to a Maryland basketball game, so it probably would never happen. The concerts she goes to include things like the Doobie Brothers, so take of that what you will. Yeah, a, a little different. Little bit, tiny bit different, but anyway, you know what you would do if that was your mother. It's okay. I have no problem with it. I have a sense of humor about it as well, but I think most people would. 
Regardless of that case, it was bizarre, but it was also kind of funny. Uh, Maryland women's basketball, they are still just destroying not very good teams. Well, actually, I mean, a couple of the teams that they played the last few weeks were decent. Um, like James Madison came in 6-2, and two. UMBC came in 6-1, and one, I think. Loyola Maryland was 0-9 and, and is now 0-10. So that game was always going to be more about field trip day, which, by the way, uh, I, love you know, I, covered this, I covered this team for two years, and just I've always had classes during field trip day until this week. And I finally got the chance to go, and it's everything that I hoped it would be. It, it's a great idea. I wish more programs did field trip day. I mean, it's it's easier for you know someone like Maryland women's basketball to pull off. Um, I, like people would raise a fuss if the men's team did that. Oh, obviously, but I still think it's great that they could do it. Yeah, I mean the the extent to which it was like kind of a concert, um, you know, because the the kids know all the dances to every big song, which I'm not sure if this is more about me or these kids or like it's, the it's internet. About it's about or, or the internet. That's like, I just, I didn't know anything about these songs. Like I didn't know sicko mode at all, or I wouldn't have, well, you know, I was, it, it has basically been determined that if you're 21 now, you're old. Oh, damn. So what does that mean? If you're 25, uh, I, I just want to start sign up for the AARP card now. Yeah. Just start writing your will, start writing your will, sign up for the senior discounts at IHOP. Yeah. Just go for it. That, it. You never feel older than when you're around something like that. But at the same time, like I enjoyed it. Well, you now that know all of these things you didn't know previously. Yep. And that's fantastic. So when is Maryland uh, going to get their first actual test of the season? Well, that, I mean, South Carolina. Yeah, I was about to say South Carolina. George is a pretty good team, um, but they weren't ranked, so it doesn't look as. The answer is I'm honestly not sure because the Big Ten, you know, it has Minnesota and Iowa. I think have been ranked. I think Minnesota is the only one that's ranked now. I know Iowa was ranked, and Minnesota I think still is ranked. I think we're 18th when I saw them last. Yeah, I mean, but the, it is looking like a sort of down year for the big 10 um, with Ohio state graduating everyone from last year and most other teams graduating more than they bring in. Um, And so with Maryland being, you know, probably a top 10 team nationally, they just, they won't have a ton of competition. Um, But we'll see like Penn state. I think they play on the 28th that, has the potential to be you know interesting Penn State's always played them a little closer than you would think and so I don't know like this team has the potential to really come close to running the table win 27 28 games I was going to ask about that and then I said I probably shouldn't ask about that it's I mean they, they play 29 regular season games so I'm I, I still don't think they quite go undefeated. I feel like they lose something. Every good team loses at least at one point. But if it, you know, with it not being at South Carolina, I don't have a game in mind that it would be because UConn's not on the schedule this year. And do they go to Minnesota? Or does Minnesota come to Maryland? Well, we could always look that up. Whatever the case may be, Maryland's going to be favored in that game. And they yes. might be favored for a while. And finally, you wanted to mention a lacrosse thing. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so the last little thing is Maryland, you know, it's Maryland football is not the only team flipping recruits. Uh, lacrosse has gotten two top 10 recruits for 2019 to like flip in the last week or so. Um, including one kid who's going to enroll in January. He is the brother of one of Maryland's current players. Um, so, so the other guy actually enrolled in January for his freshman season, which he redshirted, but he wasn't the number seven player in the country. So it, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how much of a boost that gives Maryland immediately. I have no idea where they are relative to everybody else in lacrosse this year. <laughs> so, I mean, they, I think next year is pro- like 2020 is probably the signature year for them. Um, cause most of the top players on this year's team, at least attacking wise are juniors or sophomores. So, but th- they'll still be solid. They- they've got a steady stream of talent. I mean, it's hard to imagine them not being still incredibly good all the time. Yeah. Like their floor is pretty high. Yes. Is there anything else that we can mention about anything that I have not thought of yet? I don't think there is. Zach Steffen to Man City is official now, but that's that's really it. No, it's in July. So well, I mean, it's been like officially announced by. Well, I know that the clubs. When we talk about Man City, you know. Yeah. I went over this on another show. If you want to listen to my rant about that, you could go there. And if you think he's playing for Manchester City, uh, yeah, that's not going to actually happen. New York City FC goalkeeper Zach Steffen or Hirona goalkeeper Zach Steffen is much more in the future. He's not going until after the uh, Gold Cup this year, which will be interesting because, hey, the U.S. now actually has a coach, which everyone knew was going to be their coach. Imagine thinking that Mike Loxley was going to be the Maryland head coach for about six months, but them not announcing it and going on with his coaching search and then finally hiring him. That's what the U.S. men's national team head coaching search was like. Wild stuff. Uh, it's not wild if you had to pay attention to it. And you had to cover all the games. And everybody is waiting for the coach to be hired, and they haven't hired him. And the interim was there for a year. And I knew the interim pretty well. So whatever the case may be, that's, that's the U.S. soccer rant. And, uh, yeah, Zach Steffen didn't win a national title at Maryland, but this group of players did. Gives you an idea of how fickle that sport is. But, anyway, we hope you enjoyed that. Again, stay tuned next week. We'll have to talk about signing day. Hopefully, we'll have an interview with Sasha Shirazi as well. But until then, of course, we'll